Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. So Joshua has brought the Israelites into the land. And in Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord." So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, 
that the wall fell down flat, and the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, just your history, Lord, of of watching out for your people and going before and behind and guiding them in every way. I pray that this morning, as, as Pastor Paul brings your message to us, Lord, that the words that you have laid upon him to teach us would be from you and that we would truly hear from you, Lord, and that you would use your servant Paul to speak into our lives. So I pray that you would anoint him with clarity of thought and clarity of speech and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us today. May our lives be changed by what you teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Joshua, which means I've jumped over um, quite a lot of material. I've jumped over the, book, the whole book of Deuteronomy, which is a very important book in the Old Testament. Um, and the reason I've done that is because um, I don't want to, you know, there's lots of things that, that I could speak about, but you have to be selective. Uh, so uh, Deuteronomy is a, a basically a reaffirmation of the Mosaic Covenant. And so... Um, There'll be plenty of opportunities to to look at the Mosaic Covenant more as we go through here. But just to understand here that from the time of the giving of the law, from the signing of the covenant, as it were, in Exodus 24, right the way through until Jesus comes, the people of Israel are under the covenant of law, the Mosaic Covenant. And so all of the things that we will uh, discover in the Old Testament, they're all under the auspices of the Mosaic Covenant, even though the other covenants are mentioned. But anyway, moving on to uh, Joshua. I chose to speak about the walls coming down, this famous uh, episode in the life of, or the history of Israel. There are, again, many other things that I could have selected, but I selected this one because I wanted to be uh, practical and, and talk about something with practi- practical ramifications for us today. So, yes, it doesn't seem like it when you read through this passage that it has anything to do with today, but it certainly actually does have a lot to do with faith, living by faith, and just trusting God. Trusting God. So that's the main thing that, that uh, we'll be focusing on. Um, the, the passage begins by saying that Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Jericho they were, was the city over the Jordan River. It's the one that was uh, the major fortress of Canaan the land that was given to Israel, and therefore you had, to get, you had to get rid of Jericho. You had to deal with Jericho if there was going to be any chance at all of Israel entering into its promised possessions. 
So straight away, we have this formidable city with its formidable walls that have to be, uh, have to be dealt with. There was no small town to kind of test their mettle with. They had to go up against, you know, probably the major fortified town of Canaan first. And the way they were to do it was to uh, do it in a ritualistic way, not a militaristic way. In other words, they were not going to take Jericho by force. They were not going to take Jericho by military strategy. There was nothing actually that they had to do or to depend on in their own wisdom and strength that was going to do anything to to, uh, get those walls down. This was to be God's doing. All the people had to do was to listen carefully to what God said and to do it, and to do it to the letter. And remember, I've said previously that God means what he says and that there is a correspondence between what God says and what God does. Okay? In other words, there's no, it's not that God says one thing and does something different. God, when he tells you that he wants you to do something, that's what you are to do. If he tells you that he's going to do something, for example, in a covenant for Abraham, for Israel, for David and the throne, then that's what he's going to do. Whether we see the fulfillment of that in our days or not, God is as good as his word and we must trust to his word. We don't invent fulfillments because it's been, say, 2,000 years since, uh, since the time of Jesus and Jesus has not set up a literal kingdom Upon this earth, we cannot spiritualize that kingdom and say, oh, well, what Jesus really meant is that he's reigning from heaven in a spiritual kingdom. That's what some people do. No, we must wait patiently and in faith for that kingdom to come because it will come just as God said. So we have this fortress, this impregnable fortress, Jericho, that is before them in, uh, in chapter 6. God speaks to Joshua, his captain, and the first word that he says is see, verse 2, see. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. Okay, well, how can you see something that hasn't happened yet? How can you see something that's not happening? It's not occurring. What is God saying here? What does he mean by calling Joshua's attention to the fact that this city, this fortress is already taken? This battle is already won. And Joshua is to see it. Joshua is to understand that that is going to be the case. Why does God say, see, Joshua, I've given this into your hand? 
And the answer is that if Joshua looks with the right eyes, he will see it. But his eyes, of course, have not got to be these instruments. They have to be the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith that listens to God, trusts in God, trusts that God can do what God says he's going to do, that he has the power, that he has the will to do it, and to rest in that. Now, what is, why is that important for us in our lives? Well, it's important for our, in our lives because there are many challenges, many battles, many difficulties, many pains and problems that arise in our lives, many obstacles to face, many things to get over, many troubles, many challenges to our thinking and to our faith. Things that come in between us and God. We all know those days, if we have trusted the Lord Jesus, we know those days where everything is just fine. You know, there are no problems, there are no difficulties in our lives. Everything is working the way it needs to work. And praise God, it's so easy. Faith is so easy on days like that. In times like that. And praise God that he gives us some of those times. But every one of us is familiar with times that are very different than that. The opposite of that. Then it is not so easy to see that God is going to bring us through. It seems that God is not there. And if he's there, he's not there in strength. He's not there in the kind of presence that we need him to be there or that we would like him to be there. But God tells us in his word that we are to trust him at all times. He tells us that he will never leave us and never forsake us. God tells us in those times to see. Faith is not so easy in those days, is it? But we must let our faith overcome whatever troubles and difficulties we might be facing and let faith see. I'm sure Joshua, who had seen many things from God up until up to this time, and he even saw, of course, the incarnate Jesus in the verses just previous when he came across the commander of the Lord's army there in uh, chapter 5 and verse 15. But Joshua must have wondered, okay, how is, is uh, Jericho going to be delivered into our hands? How is this going to be done? God's response is in verses 3 through 5. He gives instructions, instructions for success. Here they are. You shall march around the city 
All you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. The seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then, okay, here it is, the wall of the city will fall down flat. Okay, now let me see. Military strategy 101. So we have to walk around the city once. Uh, God will later say that you do it quietly. The people not to make a peep. You just walk around the city, okay? What do you do the next day? Well, you walk around the city. In fact, there's some detail in the middle there that's kind of a little bit tedious, isn't it? As... As uh, Steve was reading it out, the first day they did this, and the second day they did the same thing. And by the time you've had that description of what happened on the first day and on the second day, you're very glad to read, and so they did that for the other days too, rather than going through all days. But what's the point is, you see, the details there to show you that God is specific And what was supposed to happen was to follow God's specific instructions. Do you see that? It was easy enough. It just didn't kind of maybe make sense to some of the people, I'm sure. But that was the strategy. God often gives us, in his word things to do which seem counterintuitive. He tells us to love our enemies. What? To do good to those who have done evil towards us. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good, he says. Well, yeah, but what about evil that's been done to me? Well, you overcome that with good. There are many of these. Jesus said that if someone strikes you on the left cheek, give him the right also. What do you mean? The first slap hurt enough. I mean, I'm to bear the the, the other cheek to him as well. What's the point in that? Then I've got two hurting cheeks. The point is that there is a way in which you follow the word of God, you follow the character of God in following his word, and you trust that the outcome will be what God wants. Because our lives are supposed to be dedicated to God. And therefore dedicated to what he tells us to do. We're not to be thinking independently. I mean, nobody would have come up with this strategy to take Jericho, would they? Okay? I mean, if it had called every single man in Israel and say, well, how do you think we're going to do this? Nobody would have come up with, oh, yeah, we're going to walk around the city and you know, for six days, and on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. 
and then the walls will fall down. How's that one for a strategy? Nobody's going to think of that. God gives us instructions for success in these lives. The problem is often with us is that we don't pay attention to those instructions. God tells us that if we are in, uh, or rather in all, all situations, but particularly when things are uh, over our heads, he tells us to pray. The most effectual thing that can be done is to pray. He tells us when we're burdened with issues, issues that sometimes we're not responsible for bringing about. He tells us to cast those things upon the Lord. He tells us not to worry. We think, well, that's easy for, easy to say, not to worry. You know, when somebody tells us and we're, we're, we've got something that's, uh, that's weighing on us and somebody just says, well, don't worry. We think, well, that's easy for you to say. You don't, you're not dealing with the thing I'm dealing with. But God tells us, in fact, it's an imperative. He orders us, do not be anxious for anything. That's quite counterintuitive because we think that we should be worrying. And we think if we're not worrying about something that's, that's, that's a, a heavy and a, a, a big issue in our lives, if we're not concerned about it, we're not anxious about it, that's not right. Because we should be worrying about it. We should feel it. Yes? And it's very odd if we're not feeling it. What, it's like, well, are we, are we taking it seriously enough if we're not, if we're not feeling it? And God says, don't be anxious. For anything. The actual wording is, be anxious for nothing. Okay, well, what does that nothing mean? Is nothing qualified here? Okay, can we just have a definition of nothing? Okay, that will help put my mind at rest if I can understand what nothing means. Because we want to have a little little, uh, gap there, a little place where we can feel a little bit anxious, a little bit troubled, a little bit perturbed by what's going on. And God says, nothing. Now, nothing, in the the kind of dictionary definition, is, uh, is never something. In other words, nothing has no properties. You can't describe it. There's nothing you can say, any, say about it because there's nothing to it. Okay? Now, if there is nothing to it and God is saying be anxious for nothing, that means that you are not to be able to think about the thing that formerly was troubling you. Do you see? You, and again, that's counterintuitive, is it not? Because you think, well, I have to deal with this. 
Well, you may have to deal with it, but you are not to worry about it. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't, you can't do anything about um, any, you know, these, these issues. You can't, uh, you know, add to your height. You can't turn the, uh, you know, add to the number of hairs that are on your head. Why worry about it? Rather, you are to seek out what God says. What does God tell you? And you are to do it. You are to put faith and you, you are to put attention into that. What is the detail that God wants you to pay attention to at those times? He wants you to focus on him. He wants you to focus on his love, on his grace, on his presence. He doesn't want you to focus on your emotions. He doesn't want you to focus on your feelings. He wants you to focus on his words. He wants you to focus on what's true, not what feels true. But what is true, what he has said. Those are the instructions for success. Now to us, these instructions don't seem to make very much sense, okay? But actually, there, there is some aspect to this that uh, the Israelites would have understood. They would have, it would have clicked with them, okay? It wasn't irrelevant. You see, what God was doing is that he was saying, this is not going to be a military campaign. This is not going to be force of arms. This taking of Jericho, this first city, this first entrance into the land that I've given to you, this will be my gift to you. And therefore, it was to be a ritual, meaning in the sense of, following God and God's command. And the city itself was to be devoted to God. God would give it into the hands of the people, and the people will give it to God. And all of the treasures that they found in Jericho were to go into the treasure house of God. Okay, that's simple enough. Very often, very often, God's words to us, they may not completely make sense to us under the the weight of the difficulty that we have to face, but they are the words that we need to follow. They are the instructions that we must pay attention to. They are the words, the commands that we must obey. Jesus says, or, or Peter says of Jesus, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. The idea there is that he cares not just for you as a person, as a, a person that he saved, and one of these days you'll get to heaven. The idea is that he cares for you now and what you're going through now. 
and therefore what you're going through now, cast it on him, because he, he wants you to cast it on him. And the issue is, the problem is very often what it may have been for some of these uh, Israelites. It doesn't make sense. Or it's not enough. Or it's like, it's too easy. Or how can that work? How can that help? It's like Naaman. You remember the story of Naaman. We'll probably be visiting it. Naaman was told to go and wash in the river Jordan seven times, and then his leprosy would be gone. What was Naaman's reaction? Well, there are better rivers. I just came from a place where there are much better rivers than Jordan. I mean, he could have come out, couldn't he, and and done a jig and threw some uh, soil in the air and just make some kind of voodoo dance or something, be impressive, do something that looked as though something was going on. Instead of not even coming out of his house, just telling me to go and wash in the, in the Jordan. Naaman almost missed out on his healing because of that attitude. If he hadn't have had advisors that cared about him and say, well, look, it's not very difficult. If he'd have told you to do something, you know, grand and big and, and impressive, you would have done it. Why not just do something that's as simple as bathing in the Jordan? Why not simply do what God tells you to do? Hmm? Be anxious for nothing. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us that we are not to worry about what we'll, we'll put on and what we'll eat and, and uh, you know, the, the, these basic issues of life. Why? Because God looks, looks after the birds. He looks after the sparrows. He looks after the grass. And we're far more valuable to him than those things. But we have to understand it. We have to realize it. We have to believe it. When we, when we take God at his word, that's when we're glorifying him. Not when we're doing some great deed. Not when we're feeling, you know, on top of the world. But rather when the going is tough and we're trusting anyway. And so God gave the instructions and then verses 6 through 14, Israel did what God told them to do. I'm not going to read the section. You know, you know the section. It's basically March round the city once every six days, the seventh day, march round it seven times, blow the trumpets at the end of it, and the wall's gonna fall down. Then go in and, you know, the city's yours. And they did that. But there is a lesson here that is extremely important. 
And it's the difference of knowing what to do and actually doing it. Knowing what to do and doing it. We all are familiar with this, are we not, in our walk with God? That God tells us what to do, but we don't do it. Or we wait. We try and fix it ourselves. We try, or we wait around, hope it goes away. In neither of those scenarios, where we try and fix it, or where we just hope that it just blows over, in neither of those scenarios is God getting any glory. In fact, God is not even needed in those two scenarios. It is important that we realize that we were saved to bring glory to God. In uh, the book of Titus, the Apostle Paul speaks about this. This is a faithful saying, Titus 3.8, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. I want you to affirm constantly, he says. Do the works that God has created you to do. Do the things in the situation that God has you that you know God wants you to do. These are not just works of uh, works with your hands, things that you can do to help people or to minister to people. Those are important works. They should be done. But these are all internal works too. How should I be responding in this time? And if I've messed up and I've not done well up until this time, then how can I change that so that God will approve of my attitude, of my heart, of the way that I'm thinking? We're supposed to be people of righteousness, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works, not just when things are going well, but zealous for good works when things are not going well. And so there's a difference here between knowing what to do and doing it. And we all have this problem. We're all kind of hypocrites this way. We know what God says, or if we don't know what God says because we've forgotten it, we we should be in this book regularly so we can remind ourselves of what God says to us, of what's important and what's not important. And so comes the seventh day. They have obeyed God and they have trudged around for six days. I'm sure the people in uh, Jericho were wondering, what are they doing? 
And some people that we know might wonder if we're following God, what are you doing? Why aren't you concerned about this? Or why aren't you doing something about this? And you say, well, I'm trusting God. I'm doing what God tells me to do. I'm casting my burden on him. And so comes the seventh day. And God wants them to march around the city seven times, which is what they did. Verse 16, and the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. For the Lord had given them the city seven days before. If they could see it by faith. Now comes where faith and action must come together. Do you see? And so these people who had not shouted, not made a murmur for six days, now they shout. And as they shout, Joshua says, the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. He remembers Rahab, who uh, was uh, someone who believed God and trusted God and helped them, helped the uh, spies. There's a warning to abstain from all accursed things. And then verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Well, how on earth did that happen? How did that happen? I mean, how? What are the mechanics of it? Okay? The wall had been there for probably, well, hundreds of years. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. We know that these walls fell outward. We know from the excavations of ancient Jericho that the walls fell outward. How did that happen? I mean, there's the laws of physics to consider, isn't there? There's, there are things that just can't, can be and things that can't be. And walls don't fall outward, not walls like that. No, that's true, not normally. But God is the one who makes the difference between the normal and the not normal, the extraordinary. And God is the one who can make the, an extraordinary difference in our lives, in our situations. We don't have to know the mechanics of it. We don't need to ask, how does God do this? How is he going to do this? I mean, nobody was expecting those walls to fall out, were they? That's God's problem. That's God's issue. Our issue is simply to do what God tells us to do. We have our part. God has his part. 
And sometimes, you see, when we do our part, we wonder, is God going to do his part? If God, you know, God's not doing anything right now, he hasn't done anything heretofore, so, you know, if I just obey God, is it going to change? Is he going to do something? Well, start obeying, start trusting, start just casting your cares upon him. And then God, trust that God, in his good time, will do his part. Your walls will come down. He'll bring them down. It wasn't their responsibility to go and, you know, hammer on those walls and and uh, break them down. They didn't have to touch them. They didn't have to touch the problem, as it were. That was God's problem. What they had to do was to trust. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was to go around with them. It wasn't to stay in one place. They were to carry that Ark around with them because they needed to be reminded in every step they took that they were in covenant with this God. And so are you. But you're under a better covenant than they were. They were under covenant of law. You are under a covenant of grace. How much more, therefore, should we just trust this God of grace who has made this covenant of grace with us? Well, what do I do? Trust. Follow the instructions. There was a man came to Jesus once. His uh, child had a demon. And uh, he wanted help from Jesus. And Jesus said, all things are possible for him who believes. And the man, desperate, said, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. You don't have to have perfect belief. Jesus healed the son, uh, healed the daughter. You don't have to have perfect belief. You just have to have that belief directed to the right place. You have to come to the right person. You have to trust. And that's what I'm asking you to do. To come to God. If you don't know what God requires of you, Simply read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the practical aspects of, of Paul's letters, the last three chapters usually, of like Ephesians and uh, Romans chapter 12 and so on, Ephesians chapter 4, Philippians, the last two chapters, the, the great fruit of the Spirit chapter in Galatians 5, Peter's, 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Read these passages. Read the instructions. And do them. You don't have to bring the walls down. God will do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would 
remind us constantly that you are a gracious God, that you are our Father, that you care for us every moment, that we can cast all of our cares upon you. Help us and remind us, Lord, when we are so overwhelmed that we can't think straight. Help us to repair to the scriptures and to obey what they tell us to do. Help us in all things, Father, to trust you. Because in that way, Lord, we're doing what we're here to do. We're glorifying you. And we do glorify you, Lord. And thank you in Jesus' name.